Welcome back to another episode of NBA Real Talk. Once again, we're delighted to have Bryce Blanchard with us. We loved his uh, his last podcast about all of his insights behind the, the visiting bench and all those stories that he told us that we would never really be able to hear anywhere else. So Bryce, welcome. Good to be back, Jordan. So today... We want to talk a little bit about the trade deadline, some of the stuff that's going on. But really, Bryce, with all your involvement with the Jazz, and it'd just be interesting to get your perspective. Or basically, I want to put you in the shoes of a GM and basically pick your brain. Especially during this trade deadline where you have someone as big, you have a name as big as Anthony Davis who has openly talked to the GM and said that he's unhappy there. That's not a winning culture. He'd rather choose legacy over money. You know, he wants to go somewhere where he can contend for a championship and has requested that they trade him to LA. So Bryce, my question for you is, if you're the GM of New Orleans, how do you handle this AD situation? Yeah, well, I mean, the situation is this. We can talk about what we got to do now, and, I, and I'll, t- I'll give you my take on that. But long before we get to this point, one of the, the things that we got to break down is how did it get to this point? And when you draft a guy like Anthony Davis, who's a once-in-a-decade <clears throat> opportunity for a franchise to grab a number one overall pick, and have the lottery gods give you that. And that year, it's it's not that uh, schmuck from Cleveland that they took. There was a washout, but it's Bennett. Anthony. Yeah, Bennett. Who was fat. He <laughs> was terrible, right? So this bad. is Anthony Davis. So not all number one picks are created equal. This was a godsend for that organization. And for them, six, seven years later, to have it fall apart when they got to the second round. They swept a higher-seeded Blazer team last year. A six-seed swept the three-seed. And they had Boogie who, you know, I've got mixed feelings about Boogie, but they had, and they've got that point guard, um, Drew, Drew Holiday. Holiday who's special. He, he, that guy can play. And they had a nice balance last year. Got to Drew the second Holiday round. had six blocks in a game the other day. Yeah. Six. He's a point guard. Yeah, he's multidimensional. And so one of the things you got to ask yourself is, yeah, what do we do now? But you also have to shine a light on Dell Demps and any GM that lets their star player get to a spot where a year and a half before their contract's up, they go public with this announcement. Because it, you know, I live in a world of negotiation in my day job, and it's all about creating leverage and understanding what the other person's move is and next best move is. And for them to get to a spot where they declare basically war in the media was pretty brutal that, that uh, Demps did not preempt that situation. Because the minute every other team knows – this guy's not going to resign, and that option's taken off the table. The leverage you had from a trade standpoint goes down, and uh, for him to do that to the Pelicans was a total, total declaration of war. I mean, the fan base should have booed Davis. Not only should the organization have removed him from the pregame video, but the fan base honestly should have booed him because if you're going to do somebody and you want to, you know, fulfill your NBA dreams in another organization, hey, that's fine. 
but do it in a way that doesn't compromise the team that's been loyal and good to you, unless, in fact, they haven't been loyal and good to you. And that's, that's where I feel like the breakdown must have been, because otherwise he doesn't do dumps like that. But so maybe I'm way off base here, but I feel like the franchise is dysfunctional more because it seems like no one really cares and you don't expect much from a basketball team in New Orleans because let's be honest everyone cares about the Saints out there but haven't they been good to him why would he be so disgruntled just because they're not good or yeah I mean none of us are behind the scenes but you got to look at the old saying the proof is in the pudding had they been good to him I don't think, even if he wants to leave, he does it in the public fashion a year and a half ahead and compromises his leverage unless it's just all about him. Now, we also have to factor in he shares an agent with LeBron James. Rich Paul is the common agent. And this, what really is, so let's say maybe maybe New Orleans was great to him, and this is just um, the case of him getting caught up in the wash of the super team era that we live in and the fact that he and LeBron share an agent. They've concocted this plan. And even though he knows he's doing New Orleans dirty and they and he kind of knows they don't deserve it, he's still saying, hey, I got to get mine. This is a business and my business is to be with LeBron and my way out of here is sooner rather than later. I'm not willing to lose the next year and a half. I mean, he already struggles with injuries. So who knows what's going to happen he's next always year and a half. Right. He's in and out. He's in his prime. And he's like, let's just get it out there. Now, the NBA fined him or has fined his agents 50 grand, which was certainly nothing. Um, I think based on the anti-tampering rule, should have been more than that because you can't have the inmates run the asylum. And the NBA is at real risk right now with as much power. I mean, it is a player's league. In the CBA, the players got over on the owners. Unlike the NFL, well, it's all about the shield. The NBA is a player's league. And that's good to some extent, but you got stuff like this that really compromises the long-term competitive balance of a league like the NBA. <clears throat> so... It may be that they were pretty good to him, but I, I do feel like at the end of the day, some of it had to be they didn't build the team that, the, that, that he wanted, and they're at fault for that. And they but didn't what give him can the confidence. you do? What well, can you they, do if you're New Orleans? They got to the second round last year. I mean, that's his job to figure it out, right? Yeah. Other small markets have made it work. San Antonio is a small market. Nobody wants to live in San Antonio necessarily, although the weather's mild. Or OKC. Or no OKC. one wants to live out and there. And OKC kept Paul George. So... There are teams in small markets that can pull this off, and it was Demp's job to do it. And when you're recruiting guys, when you have a number one overall pick who's a special outlier-type talent like Anthony Davis, you should be able to put the pieces around him. You really should. And so, and so he failed in that respect. Now, what should he do now is, is the second part of your question, right, Jordan? Well, what, what should he do now? And if you're the GM, do you give the superstar who literally is screwing you because he is a superstar. Yeah. He's, he is a top-tier talent, like you said, once a decade kind of player. He, just because he says he wants out, do you say, sure, whatever you say, Anthony, you know, no, we just I, want you to be happy. No, I think you field offers. There's, there's no harm in fielding offers. But I think, and, and I will credit, New Orleans' first response to the agent going rogue in the media was, you know what, we'll do this when and how we want to. Yeah. You're not running the show. And so I, I do think the... The Pelicans got that piece of this right. But at this point in time, the reality is if you look at the standings, they are not likely to make the playoffs, even if Davis returns to being healthy. Um, They're buried now in a tough Western Conference. 
And I just don't see that happening. So the Do NBA they just chalk it up as a loss. Yeah, at this point, you know the tanking vocabulary, while really negative in the league, it is a practical reality. And there's some talent in this year's draft. If you're the Pelicans, you now don't rush Davis back to to the court because uh, it's going to be awkward, and you actually don't really want wins now because you're not making the playoffs. He's not going to stay. Heaven forbid he actually got hurt and his trade value goes down further by him just playing in meaningless games. So you now say, sure. hey, you know what? Sit your ass on the bench. Yeah. You've made this a declaration of war. We'll either trade you now if we like the package, which clearly they're not enamored with the L.A. Lakers package, nor would I be because other than Kuzma, Ball, Ingram, Rondo, Beasley, come on. Th- those are all throwaway pieces um, that in mass are not going to help the Pelicans go anywhere. So that's actually – so the latest trade was Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, Brandon Ingram, Lance Stevenson, Michael Beasley, Rajon Rondo, and two first-rounders. And the Pelicans said, no, you need to sweeten that deal. And they're already giving up their whole roster. And they're asking for more picks. And lately – or the latest update is that L.A. saying, no, you're asking for too much, which, like you said earlier, it's just leverage. Yeah. They're going to try to come to some agreement. But what do you do with those players? Is there any way where you can actually win in this scenario being New Orleans? No. And that's why I think they've got to hold out for a big ransom, a king's ransom. This is Anthony Davis, and they shouldn't be forced into making a quick move. If, and, and here's the other thing about the Lakers' picks, you got to understand. Those picks, if you pair LeBron with Davis, and then, of course, they're going to be able to get a third banana superstar. Who wouldn't want to go play with LeBron and Davis in for L.A.? Le, for less for money. For the Lakers. Yes. So now, all of a sudden, look at those future picks. They're coming at the bottom of the first round. They're darn near second-round picks. When you get guys and you're drafting 28th, 30th in the first round. Those are throwaways pretty much. I mean, they're maybes. They're definitely maybes. They're not lottery. They're not even mid-first round. So the talent gets thin. So those first-round picks from L.A. don't look nearly as good when they show up um, because you're giving them Davis, which gets their record better than what they have today. So to me, I personally say no to the Lakers deal. I play it out to the summer. I keep Davis on my bench. I show him we're in charge. At this point, wins are not wins because you want a worse record. Yeah. Practically speaking, let's try to go get Zion. I mean, they're right now 13th out of 15 teams in the West. What can you do, though? So if you don't make this deal So, so in the LA, summer, what, what options do you what, have? Because at the end of the day, you, Anthony Davis is the best asset that's going to be on the market. I mean, other than a KD free agent, right? In terms of right. a player that can be traded, he's top, top in an all-NBA player from last year. So you let the Celtics get in the mix. You find out where other people go, and you slow play this thing through the summer, and you chalk this year up as a tough year for the organization, but you've got to get paid for Anthony Davis. He's a historic he, player. Sure he is, but – so two questions. One, do you give Max money a super max deal – because he said he would take less money for legacy. Because at this point, the money's so big, it doesn't matter. But do that's you, what's... as a GM, do you give max money to a guy that's injury prone, that's missing 15, 20 games every regular season? First question. And then secondly, if you're Boston, we know that Danny Ainge is a shrewd bargainer, right? And he, it's got to be a raw deal for the other team. He thinks he's got, he's got a oust everyone 
So I see him offering Terry Rozier and Al Horford. No, and a pick. they'll get Tatum. They're deep oh, in the. They're deep they in the love wing. Tatum. But, but listen, Anthony Davis and is, Kyrie's not loyal. Kyrie's not staying. But here's the point: in the world of trade negotiations, you got to have leverage. And I just don't think they love LA's package. I, I wouldn't, other than Kuzma, who but, I really like. But still, Kuzma is not a made man in the no. NBA. He's got a nice start. He's got a good upside. I like his work ethic. He's got game that translates. He's, He's shooting 30% from three, and he likes to chuck. I see a little Andrew Wiggins in him. Yeah, I mean, well, some of that's a function of the guys in L.A. are all just trying to get their FGAs. Um, you know, they're not necessarily playing for each other right now, but that's another story. So I, I, I just say, if I'm the, the GM of the Pelicans, I tell Anthony Davis, you're not running the show. You sit there on the bench. You nurse whatever injury you have. Um, you you force him to eat the the pie that he just baked for you, and you trade on your terms. And to me, that's that's the only route for New Orleans. Because the bottom line for New Orleans, if you can't keep Anthony Davis, you are hitting the reset button. And if you're going to hit the reset button, you better get paid for him. So when you say you hit the, the reset button, so meaning what? Because you still have Julius Randle, you have Drew Holiday, you don't feel like that's salvageable? You can't... No, no, you can keep those pieces, but you've got to get the right thing back for Anthony Davis. And Ingram and Rondo Stevenson. Well, so you're, say you're the GM. Do you waive those guys? Do they ever even well, suit yeah, up? Well, Ron, yeah, listen, Rondo already played there, and, and that didn't work out. So there's no way he'd stay. They, they would make the math work by including Rondo uh, if it needed to, and then they would waive him. We see this all the time with veterans. They go to another team, and they – I mean, the Jazz had Derrick Rose, and then they waived him, right? True. So, so this happens all the time. And then he happens to – Do well in Minnesota. Come but back, yeah. If it's a veteran who doesn't want to play there, and the team doesn't quite frankly want to have him, they're not part of the rebuild, they, they do the trade to make it work, and then they waive the guy. That's a, that's a tactic that's long used. So really, if it's you – you stick it to AD and say, hey, on our terms, not yours. Yeah, no you, pressure. You went public with this. So really. We're it's, already 13th in the, in the West. Yeah. 15. So kind of like. You can't hurt us anymore. You already did your damage. And, and so we're going to inflict pain back your direction. And we're going to get the most out of it. And it would be different if he was a free agent the next year. Totally. And different. then he wanted to do something like what Chris Paul did where he said, hey, look. I'm leaving. Get what you can, you know. And I'll tell you what, if if it really gets dysfunctional, I could see a situation where they don't make a deal this summer and we go Le'Veon Bell style. And like Stephon Marbury so just doesn't you could play. have played. You're healthy enough, but there's such a burn bridge between ownership and the player that they they don't want to play you and you don't want to play for them, and then it bleeds into next year. But, again, if I own the rights to Anthony Davis for another year and a half – I am not allowing him and his agent to dictate the future of my franchise. I'm not. I'm willing to wait it out. I got to play the long game now because I'm not going to be good in the short term either way. I just lost my all-NBA number one overall pick. No, that, that's actually good insight. So, Magic, though, what's he thinking right now? Hey, he's looking at his chops because what Magic knows is what we all know, and that is this has become a player's league, and he got the king. And the king will get his knight and his pawn and his rook. He is a recruiter. And, and, the king, and L.A.'s a great spot to recruit. And LeBron knew this, and he didn't want to carry the load anymore in Cleveland. We can already see his body starting to break down. So he's got to play these next couple of years 
correctly so that he can be the goat that you already think he is, Jordan, which I don't think he and, is. And, <laughs> and, and we will. This is up for. Dis- I mean, LeBron this, wants to get a couple more rings. This, this is up for debate, and he knows he can't do it playing forty minutes a game. Uh, he's got to have some help again. Like Bryce no. will present a case for MJ. Yes, for all you and MJ we will, defenders, we will I go got you. Head to head and battle to the death. Yes. But going back to GM, though, I mean, do you see? How do you see this going? You see? Do you think nothing happens? I think nothing think- happens until the summer, and um, unless somebody steps up with a very attractive package. What I know is Milwaukee wants him. Yeah, but I don't know if they've got the pieces because a lot of their guys also expire at the end of the year. Middleton expires in the year. Um, a bunch of the good Brogdon's expiring at the end of the year. So. It's got to be – if they just sell him out and they don't know they can sign guys, that's really risky. Now, it did work for OKC with Paul George, surprisingly, I might add from my standpoint. But I do think – He also qualifies for a $290 million Supermax deal next yeah, year. Yeah, that doesn't hurt. That doesn't hurt. <laughs> but um, I, I personally, if I had to bet on this, I bet we actually get through the trade line with trade deadline with no deal. Um, it may be that the Pelicans GM panics and says, you know what, I just don't want to live in this drama for another four months, so abort mission, and he may take a deal. But if I were him, I wouldn't take – I would not take – unless somebody steps up with something more significant right now, I, would, uh, I wouldn't fold, man. I'd play the long game. But there's nothing else the Lakers can offer, right? So right. I don't think they're the right trading partner, and that's the thing. And I personally wouldn't want to give in to that anyway. Could they technically, though – could New Orleans technically – make that deal just to move those players and do one-off deals with a bunch of different teams and kind of form the team they want? Yeah. I mean, or that's a, that's are their players not valuable enough? I mean, Lonzo Ball, I think he has a high ceiling, but not high enough for AD, obviously. Yeah. So, yeah. like Ingram, he built like KD, doesn't play like him. I don't see Ingram being a playoff winning basketball player. I just don't see it in his DNA, and that's that's just my judgment call. No, I mean, if we're if we're being honest, I absolutely hate. And I've what sat I see. behind uh, the Lakers um, once this year. I'll sit by them again here in a few weeks when they come back to Salt Lake, and I'll have a better take for you on that. That'll be interesting. I'll be able to have some fun with that conversation that night. But the uh, the the Lonzo Ball show um, also to me is a little underwhelming. I just his body language is pretty brutal. And he's disconnected from his teammates. He's kind of a no-show in the huddles. Uh, Ingram, same thing. He doesn't it's, seem like a vocal leader no. at all. Right? Well, and there's just, just there's no chemistry there. The Lakers huddle this year when I watched them was was terrible. Does um, Luke Walton have control of that team at all, or no. does he just no, no, seem no, no, checked no. out? He's 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 now Tyron Lue. He's he's LeBron's puppet, and he'll do for as long as LeBron wants him to do, and then they'll go get the right coach when the pieces are in place. Because I've always wondered that. You know, and you bring up a good point. I, I look at it and go, LeBron has never played for a coach like Pat Riley or Jerry Sloan that yeah. would whoop his ass. They're no. always puppets. He has n- that's right. Mike I mean, Brown? Even Spolstra. Spolstra was a young fella in Miami, and, and he and Bosch and Wade ran that team. But huh. the, uh, the thing about L.A. is they, um, they've, got, they've got a bunch of pieces, but to me – it's a lot of players with limited personal achievement and fire and that winning mentality. They, they just don't strike me as the kinds of guys that are going to get it done. Well, they're a G League team without yeah. LeBron. Imagine I mean, that. unwatchable. So wrapping this one up, let me just ask you this. Say you're the GM 
at what point do you decide to actually tank and just fold all together? And then at what point do you actually go, no, we're trying to contend and win right now? Well, it's risk and return. So you got to weigh the, the, the fan, fan base is going to get alienated um, if you tank and, and you don't tank with a purpose. I think fan bases will be patient and get on board if they know, but, but by tanking, you're going to get a special player in the draft. Um, and so it's a risk because people only tolerate that kind of non-competitive basketball so long before you get killed on season ticket renewals. So you got to have a plan, and then the lottery's got to be good to you as well. But to me, the NBA is a feast or famine league, and it kind of depends on some franchises, to be honest with you, Jordan, run to to pay the bills and make a profit. Other ones are wanting to win championships. And other ones, it's a toy for a rich dude. And, right, and, and I'm telling you, it's it, those are the three like different prototypes. Oh, the Knicks, even the Knicks. Yeah, Dolan. It, it, they ownership matters in the NBA big time, and it trickles down from ownership down to the GM, the execs, and the coach. And there's a lot of franchises that are not built to win championships, um, and other ones that are actually they, they own them to make money, and other ones that are, they don't even care. It's just like a little toy for an ego guy. So, I mean, the tanking thing is is got to be done carefully. But to me, I'm built that if you're not relevant in the conversation to win a title, you you got to shake things up. Just to be, you know, a mid-tier playoff team and make the first round, maybe the oh, second round is not enough. That's the story for of the, me. The Jazz when we had we had Big Al and we just creep into the playoffs yeah, and get swept seed, by the Spurs. Like eight seed is no man land. You know, get me in the top four seeds, um, or get me in the lotto. To, to me, anything in between is a poor strategy, short and long term. So, wrapping this up, you know, you wait till the end of the year, saying you're the New Orleans GM. You still have AD. Could you then technically say, hey, we already know AD's not happy here. Whoever drafts Zion number one, <laughs> we go 50, 50 hey, hey, we just go, hey, we're going to do a clean swap. Mm, I love that, Jordan. So I don't know if that's even possible. I think Sure. Well, no, I mean, you'd have to, you have got to do some financial engineering because you've got to get some contracts to match. And, as, and a rookie so you'd have deal, to dump some players. You'd have to find an overpaid vet that's playing out. You know, it's got a year left on a dumpable contract. So you'd, you still have to make the math work. But the concept you just said is actually one that I love. Because that's the only scenario I can go over or that I can think of that makes sense for AD. Because yeah, I don't wait see for after the draft. Milwaukee, uh, yeah, you'll be great, but you have to give up a lot to get him. And you're already so earlier in a podcast with with Spencer, we were talking about Milwaukee. Didn't know this. Buttonholzer's totally changed that team around last year and this year. And their number their number four offensive rating in the NBA one defensive rating. They're second in the NBA behind Golden State in threes. And I don't to me they don't pass the eye test of being a good three point shooting team. You know? And they're the number one rebounding team in the NBA. Yeah, they're so stuff. it's like you already have a great thing going. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. What they don't have yet is the playoff uh, reps. And what True. we know is nobody comes from out of nowhere and wins a championship. It, they always lose first the year before in the conference finals or the championship. It's a process, and so if Milwaukee before Dallas won, how many? Yeah, nobody sneaks up on anybody yeah. in the playoffs. That's a good point. You can sneak up in the regular season and have the best record, like the Rockets. But 
You don't win titles until you lose titles or lose in conference championships, usually one, two, three years before. Look at LeBron, look at MJ, look at anybody. There's, there is a process in the NBA. So some of it's respect with officials. Some of it's being in the heat of the moment in that kind of a playoff environment. That, that teams, Milwaukee, mark my words, is not winning the title. They're the best record in the league. Put me down on record. There's no possible way the Milwaukee Bucks win the, Nash, the, the NBA title this year. I, I will put my house in pink slip. Anybody wants to take that bet? That well, I'm siding with you. <laughs> I'll, I'll bet the farm that they don't. That Golden nope. State just runs the table and doesn't even think twice. Or somebody else that's already been had their playoff reps. I'm, I'm telling you, nobody sneaks up on anybody for. NBA Do you see playoff. anyone challenging Golden State at all? Well, injuries always can play a part, and they've been remarkably healthy for their whole run. With two of their stars out, they can still win it. That's what's terrifying. They can, but it's not. It's not a done deal. And I think in some ways the officials don't want to see it anymore. You got to realize the NBA in playoff in playoff basketball officiating matters, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying it's fixed. I don't think it's fixed, but officials are human beings. I watch it time and time again from my courtside seats. They respond to things going on in the league and player trends and home court cheering and all kinds of stuff. And I think the NBA and the officials don't want to see Golden State boat race anybody. I, I actually see That's a, a little point. bit of an official backlash on them in the playoffs. Um, just, just, just my hunch. No, that's, I mean, I think about that all the time. Why can't they just officiate it like a college game and it's consistent? If it's a charge, it's a charge. You know, we actually call lane violations, but you're right. Playoff basketball is a different animal and something that we will talk about at another time. So Bryce, thanks again for being on the podcast today. Happy to do it. Always a pleasure. Always a blast. Love getting your insights. And until next time. All right, my man.